Listening to Roar, powered by LT Gray. Welcome to the Tiger Den. Welcome back to Roar, powered by LT Gray. I'm your host, Miss Schiff, and I'm super excited today. Actually, very excited. Probably my favorite topic ever. Combining my passion with my practice of food journalism. So we're here with our with my student, not our student. I'm not going to share her. Um, with Erica. She's going to explain who she is, introduce herself as we normally would. And then we're going to just hop into my topic. Well, your topic, but I'm going to take ownership of this because how beautiful and brilliant is this? Okay, go for it. Okay. Hi, I'm Erica and I'm a junior and this is my first year at LT Gray and I'm a writer as well. You're a writer. Yeah. Okay. And your topic is food journalism, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's get some background on Erica because this is really funny. Erica, why do I think it's funny that you picked this topic? So I actually have a lot of food allergies so much so that my, the, my palate of food is really limited unseasoned even and i'm talking about food drills food journalism and all of these restaurants and recipes they have and when i asked her about this which really tickled me i was like oh you must be looking at niche things that like fit your food allergies not that it would matter we would absolutely still do the podcast about that but that like catered to your allergies so that way you are looking up like journalistic things about like food and compository like practices of food allergens and such and you literally said what to me i do not i just look at normal all the normal food articles like a normal person <laughs> so she watches and looks at a bunch of articles related to food that she cannot eat so i found that hilarious and somewhat masochistic <laughs> um because we also talked about your youtube channel apparently like she follows enough shows cooking shows um not just cooking shows but there's these like small creators that make like many food documentaries about these random places around usa and i will watch them and i'll be like really interested in the process of how these chefs make their food that's really interesting we my husband we meaning my husband and i uh we watch food documentary-esque things in terms of travel to try and figure out where we want to go so we will look at like if we think we want to go to Prague, which we ended up doing a food tour in Prague called taste of Prague. that's a shout out to them they actually are amazing um we watched like taste of Prague food documentaries right about the food in Prague to see if that was like a place on our palate, if you will. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because I, when I'm like researching this food journalism, that's a huge subculture nowadays, like uh, focus, like travel kind of food documentaries, like the, um, these, well, it's more food media, but these hosts will travel to certain places and pick out the best foods. And it's now like a new genre. Of it absolutely is, which I love that genre. So that has sucked me in. That is definitely something that my family is 100% on board with. Um, in terms of food journalism versus what you mentioned, food media, and I love that you have a distinction of that. What is food journalism? So food journalism is food writing. It's all of what you would think as food media and these food documentaries, but it's the writing version of it. There's these recipes, there's um, 
Also restaurant reviews and criticisms, that's a really big one, as well as there's also a new interest in, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, it's, oh, looking into the policies or like the background of food. Uh, like, like it, historical context of food? Historical context, there's also the cultural, but then also where does this food come from? Uh, like in terms of like its sourcing? Sourcing, like the whole process to it. So, so like, was it ethically gained yes, or yes. Uh, fair trade? Or like, I know coffee is a big deal with fair trade where like uh, fishing, uh, fishing game and wildlife, right? Uh, there's uh, ethical practices in, in terms of that. And then of course there's vegan and vegetarian world as well. So interesting. Um, do you know how like, what are the changes from previous food journalism to now? Is there is there a shift? Well, as there's like um, kind of a shift in viewership and not well readership in uh, food journalism and these food writings, they've had to evolve into a lot more than just restaurant reviews. Uh, even a recent example of this is with the pandemic. It's gone because you can't really go into these restaurants and uh, review the food that they offer. Uh, they're either than takeout. There's been more reaching into the backgrounds of like and looking at these chefs and the cultures into a more sincere way rather than like a really critical way. So like there's a story behind a chef versus the story of the food on the plate because yeah. it's hard to get the food on the plate when we were all on lockdown. Yes. Um, that's interesting. So that shift has become more humane in terms of the humanistic story that that comes out of the journalism. I think that you can see that even in like, there are a lot of Netflix documentaries um, that deal and pertain with like the chef versus the plate, if you will. Um, that's really interesting. What is your favorite article that you've read uh, in terms of like a restaurant or, or a chef? Is there anything that pops up? A bit difficult. Um, I think I don't bake, but I really, really enjoy reading the like baking desserts kind of articles and the process behind it. I'm also interested in the science behind it in a way. There's some food articles in a way that take um, science of food and making food into the writings. There is a bit of chemistry in it, right? Yes. Yeah, like um, I do bake and I know when I'm going to make bread, you have to let that yeast rise before you actually allow it to meet with like the flour and the other components of the bread. So there is a bit of chemistry. I've never been good at chemistry, but I can measure a cup. So I'm good. Like basic chemistry is fine. Um, but it's interesting that you're, you like the whole article that's comprised of science as well in terms of food. Um, and sourcing, it sounds like. I think you like sourcing. Um, have you read about a restaurant that you would like to visit? Um, well, it's a mix of read and also watched it because I found a follow-up video. I don't know the name of it, but there is this restaurant in New York uh, that like fuses fine dining with ramen noodles. And I think you also mentioned there's a location in Irvine that's somewhere. I don't know if it's the same one, but Hiro Nori has a Michelin star and they are in Irvine. So they're amazing. Their, their, their broth is unreal. Their noodles are great. 
but there's a lot of good ramen near my house yeah but to have a michelin star is like that's a big deal yeah and it just like it is a bit of a label that like it kind of boxes in the restaurant but it's still a big deal to reach that level of i'm not sure how to put it like it's a prestigious was, title it's like it's to be awarded something it's um it's almost like a mini nobel prize right yes. for especially for ramen i think i think that ramen or um other like street food is starting to come into play um as a bigger competitor i think that prior to maybe the past 10 15 years i know that food journalism mostly comprised of expensive restaurants like noma right uh do you know where noma is in copenhagen it's the number one most uh like the creme de la creme of all restaurants supposedly and they forge like mushrooms and stuff in denmark and then they bring it and so there's a, this weird fusion of you know food that you wouldn't normally see on your plate but i think that uh food journalism has also changed where it's starting to com be comprised of like basic cultural foods like a taco because, well, I think what you're saying is that the fine dining thing, it's like compared to these ramen, tacos, things like that, they're like seen as casual in this light. But the thing is, it's like a staple to so many cultures. Like their food is seen as, well, in quotation marks, casual, but it's really the basics to it. So food journalism has also turned like really cultural basis wise. Um, a lot of articles and I've also food media documentaries have been looked in like a cultural outlook and then how to uh, adhere to what they use and like their origins as well. Right. I mean, if I'm, uh, let's go back to Noma for one quick second. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm going to forge mushrooms and make a foam salad, which is ridiculous, but that's what I've seen. Okay. Versus like a taco or ramen or, um, what other cultural dish can we think of? Uh, like a curry, right? These are very common foods to find in cultural homes. They're also very common, like to find a taco truck or a Robin stand. Like these are very easy to find. So to have a good one really stands out because there's the masses, right? It's not hard to get a taco in mm. Southern California. But if you want the best tacos, you're going to want something with like a handmade tortilla, right? If you want ramen, you want homemade noodles. You don't want to get like processed. processed. Yes. Yeah. So to get that, food journalism has also upped its game maybe by identifying people who've taken the basics of cultural food and raised it a level, right? Exactly. That's kind of the, how the change has been interpreted in forward. Um. So speaking of targeted, who do you think that they're writing for? Well, I, I think the general of food journalism is usually, it's supposedly for all culinary levels um, for anyone that wants to read it. But to be honest, when I read these articles or I, I have been researching on this topic, I see that it's gone to a more like, you need to know at least how to cook. You need to know what these flavors taste like because a lot of the food journalists describe, because they have to 
say it all in writing to for the audience to understand what kind of flavors they're experiencing they have to use such like a vocab like a vocabulary in a way that one can picture the palette and if you're one with a not really experimental way of tastes or even culinary ability i feel like it's a bit more difficult to understand what these uh, articles are facing to us yeah because i guess it would be hard to like smell the spices or like taste them in your mind right where if if i describe pizza to somebody and they've had that experience with pizza right then they they know what the melted cheese tastes like and they know what the grease looks like and the you know how it feels later which never feels good but feels good going down right um so I guess what you're saying is if you haven't experienced at least some level of that cultural food, then the article may be lost on you because you're not able to really visualize. Yeah, that's kind of the point I was going. Nice. I mean, it makes sense. Um, so the audience is really for people who have been exposed to that particular food is what you're saying, even though they say that it's not necessarily yeah. the case. But it can be used also for those that want to try something new. If they see eye-catching words or eye-catching descriptions, it can be used to expand what they know in food. And do you think that like the written word in food journalism is affecting specific restaurants or the restaurant industry? Um, I think the thing is food, oh, sorry, words are, can be really one dimensional and it's a bit like compared to a video, it's harder to understand the emotion that these writers or are trying to portray or like the story. So sometimes words that may seem a bit critical can could affect a restaurant in a way if it is from one a very popular or influential like magazine or a website and two if it's if the way that the audience interprets it is also really negative so i think this is interesting also because one of my favorite shows is somebody feed phil have you seen it no i have Okay, so that you need to watch. <laughs> Put that on your to-do list. But somebody feed Phil is Phil Rosenthal, and he goes around to major cities all around the world, and he's not a food critic. He actually used to be a writer for Everybody Loves Raymond, okay? And he's amazing and funny and kind-hearted and warm. And if you ever listen to this, just know I'm your biggest fan. But Phil Rosenthal is not in any way, as far as I know, a culinary expert. He just knows what he likes. And so my question for you is, I have followed where Phil has gone in some places. I've literally been like, I need to have what Phil Rosenthal had on this menu. Is he in a way changing what the critics have done and what these journalists have done? And is he, I mean, I know you haven't seen it because you just admitted to that, but I'm sure there are other people that have traveled that have no culinary expertise. Are they equitable? Because not every opinion is based on knowledge. And we could talk about that medically. We could talk about that um, in terms of drama and theater. And we could talk about that in many avenues, sports, whatever, right? Um, 
but Phil is not a food critic. And yet he brings you to some of the yummiest looking places on earth. I think that's really interesting. Like, I, I know what exactly what you mean. There's this, because the platform with like websites and these free, not free, but like these, yeah, these free food critics, they, um, I don't know that Phil's free because he's on Netflix. So he's getting paid. He's probably getting paid a lot. I hope you are, Phil. Good job. But yeah, there's a bigger platform for anyone to now be a food reviewer, food journalist. And I think that shows almost like a more human side. It's a lot more relatable. I think, I guess that's why you enjoy He is. Show. He's so relatable. And his stupid jingle at the beginning, I just absolutely love. Most like Netflix things, you know, where it says skip the intro. Yeah. I normally skip the intro. I have to sing his singing song. Like you cannot pass it up and he makes you smile and it makes you totally warm to whatever he's done. He's done a great job of that. But then I, when I think about food journalism and what you're talking about with like ethics of journalism, right. And understanding, um, I don't want to say Phil is unethical. I love him too much, but is, is that affecting food journalism in a way? And I think you're saying it is. Yeah, but not it's not a direct replacement. I don't think you can replace um, someone that's like a culinary person and has like a background in food that describes these articles and has been working on them for a long time with someone that's got has the more like human side. To, well, not human, but no, he's they, he's yeah, he's working on your pathos, right? We learn yeah. about like rhetorical devices and language arts, right? And he he pulls on your heartstrings, right? Uh, I mean, you haven't, again, you haven't seen, you're going to see it. This is your okay. homework, okay? Your homework is, you have Netflix? Yeah. Okay, then you have to see. Um, and also, if you don't have Netflix, before he did Somebody Feed Phil, I watched his whole series before that. It's on YouTube, and it's, uh, oh my goodness, I'm blanking right now, but it's Phil Rosenthal, and he does a food, um, he does pretty much the same thing that he does now, but it's not with the jingle and it's like, it's a little rougher than what he does now. What he does now is more refined with his production company, which by the way, his brother Richard is the camera guy. I love the whole, but that's also that pulls at your heartstrings, right? The whole family, he includes his parents. Sadly, his parents have passed, but like now they do a joke because his dad used to tell a joke. So now the, the, he'll get famous people that you might recognize that give a joke in honor of his dad, Max. So like it's. Yeah, I think it connects back to what I was saying that um, these food journalism and food media has been so much more authentic and sincere over the times. There's things like not really experts uh, doing the same thing as experts would do. And then there's also taking the from food to the chef and seeing the history, the culture, the background, how they got there. And I think that's what also makes me a lot more interested in food media and food journalism. That's the eye-catching moment um, to know about like these people's backgrounds and the different places to visit. This is not on your form, but I noticed that this came out more. She's gonna she's gonna freak out everybody. This is not on your form. And I noticed it came out mostly, it comes out every year around Thanksgiving where we talk about like Native Americans and and like food productivity and like what is native to the Americas in terms of food and crop and like corn being one of those things, right? As a staple of American food and culture. And then the writing of it. Have you seen any of these articles in terms of like Native Americans and food? 
not really. I'm going to be honest. No, it's okay. Don't seem necessarily articles. I mean, I've heard of the issue before, but I haven't read or watched anything related to that. Other than ramen, because you've mentioned ramen. We all love ramen. Uh, are there any other types of foods that you like reading about in terms of journalism? Well, um, I love reading like more Asian culture foods. Um, I don't know. Like I can't really picture pasta or something like that because I've never had it before. Like I've had a gluten-free alternative, but it's, I don't think it's as good as the real thing. But you, but I can picture have you had some, ramen? Um, I've had like rice noodles with like same okay. things. Like, so that's what I was saying. Like I, <laughs> I understand like if there's a rice base to it or something like, I feel like once that I understand in a way, like I can't have all these toppings, these meats or things like that, but I do read more Asian culture things, uh, but I think in general, like desserts from everywhere um, are usually are also ones that fascinate me. Have you read anything? This is, I love food, guys. I love food. <laughs> um, I really love French influence in Asian desserts. French? French influence. Oh, oh, not necessarily desserts, but I've heard of like the French cuisine and then these um, techniques that like culinary students will get trained to do and then they'll apply it to like Asian culture. Yes. I right. Like 85 degrees has a lot of yeah, French influence, which is an Asian bakery. But I mean, the French came up with a croissant. Right. So and they have like ham and cheese croissants that are in Asian bakeries now. Right. There's a lot of East Asian bakeries and they're like using all of these things, like even sesame seeds, you'll see sesame seed bread or something like bread is not necessarily something that originates from Asia, but using these techniques, they and the flavors, they combine it together. And there's I, I'm, I'm curious to see if there are articles that talk about that kind of fusion because I am noticing like Paris baguette that's in Irvine. Uh, that's, that's a French name. And as far as I understand, Asian ownership, it's Korean, I think. Korean. So yes. And then like it's Asian fusion, right? Like there's a, there's a really harmonious fusion going on there with like the flavoring, like the black bean. That's not French black bean, right? Am I right? Am I calling it? Or is it like a, well, you know what I'm talking about with yeah, these Yeah, the bread is definitely not. Yeah, so it, it's. I, I'm sure there's videos, there's um, articles out there because this is definitely a noticeable pattern. Um, even I see an ice cream. There's like some ice cream flavors. You'll, you'll find like other cultures. Uh, they might be, they might like seem savory, but they'll in, like have a fusion together with these like ice cream flavors. I had vegetable ice cream in Denmark that I absolutely loved and it oh. sounds disgusting but it was beautiful beautiful yeah my husband was like why are you getting that and then he had some of mine and he was like oh that's why I'm like uh like I love goat cheese in in my ice cream also does not sound beautiful it's to die for put some goat cheese with like a fruit and ice cream and it's it's heaven on earth so what have we learned what, what are we learning from journalism and food because i've just made everybody gain forty-five thousand pounds from this well i think some of the more general things that that i've also said a couple of times is that food has been 
food journalism and media has been not severely, but largely impacted by culture and uh, as well as looking at things from a new perspective rather than, oh, this is a restaurant I went to and I give it a four out of five or something like that. It's more like looking at, oh, this is the chef that uh, created this food. This is the story behind it. Um, wow, I'm repeating myself. No, I got a question for you because it made yeah. me think of something. Do you read Yelp reviews? Um, yeah, I I really rely on reviews, which is which I shouldn't sometimes, but I like if is this website trustworthy? Is this a restaurant? Uh, well, not restaurant, but like, is this bakery have good prices for what they're selling or something like that? Interesting. So you still use like guerrilla media? Not a lot because to be honest, I can't really visit these places or something, but I was recently looking for a um, an allergy-friendly cake or something for my birthday, like over the summer. And I was looking through all of these websites, like, is this the right one? And even my mom joined in, like looking on Facebook. Like, Did you find a place? No, but I made my own. So. There are gluten-free cupcakes yeah. at Hapa, uh, Hapa, yeah, Hapa in, in Brea. See, I'm the person to talk to. <laughs> I'll check it out. Yeah, um, Hapa has gluten-free cupcakes. I think they might be able to make a gluten-free cake. And their cupcakes are pretty darn good. All right. I'll look into that. Interesting. Uh, do you ever read um, journalism? Like, do you ever read articles that have journalistic integrity about things we would find in the grocery store? No, I have not. Because, like, yeah. King Arthur has really good uh, gluten-free like products that, you know, you add water and maybe an egg or whatever and, and you make your brownie at home. Right. And there's a lot of, uh, you said you don't eat pasta cause you're not really exposed to it, but there's a ton of gluten-free pasta now. Yeah. This is completely unrelated, but like there's a lot of alternatives nowadays. Like five years ago, I would have not seen the same foods. Like I would have not been exposed to the same foods as I am now. Um, my favorite is Trader Joe's. They have so many different alternatives for vegan, um, gluten-free things. Their it's, snickerdoodles are amazing. It's really heaven. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is heaven, right? Yeah. But um, I think it's really important that we start looking for articles about those sort of things as well. Because uh, the things we buy in the grocery store affect us, right? They, they are cheaper alternatives than going out. And um, maybe that's a, maybe a call to action, right, for journalists out there that may be listening to this that maybe covering things that we just get in our own markets are important so we understand where they're coming from and where they're sourced and um how things are dealt with maybe trader joe's needs a journalist on hand maybe you <laughs> could work for trader joe's as a food journalist that's something to think about yeah that, that's interesting <laughs> i'm actually. just giving you a job erica <laughs> go for it go out into the world what year are you erica um i'm a junior and what uh, college are you thinking of? I don't have a college in mind, but keeping it related to the food, I'm really interested in like maybe pursuing food science. Um, we'll see into that in the future, but no, I don't really know about colleges. Okay. Well, there's also agricultural schools that you might be interested in. That's, yeah, I've looked in. Yeah, kind, yeah, kind of. There's like a whole fusion there. Mm -hmm. You can go a few different routes with that. I love it. Okay, well, we are at 27 minutes and 37 seconds, and they're even longer because they're going to get our intro. <laughs> so I'm super proud of you for your 10-minute uh, 
conversation. <laughs> Sorry, we've talked about food a lot. My editor-in-chief who's listening as she is quality control um, is now hungry. I think we all are. Are you hungry? Yes. Okay. So um, if we have not made you hungry as a listener, then we have not done our job today. If there, Do you have any food writers that you'd like people to read before we leave? Mm, no, I can't think off the top of my head. I just read whatever I see. Is there so. a place that you would go to look for all the reading that you see? No, to be honest, I just search up a food or something first website. And then you look at, like... I don't sign up for subscriptions or anything, like, online. Well, we need to get you to subscribe so we can support journalists, yes? (laughs) Click and subscribe! Speaking of which, you should subscribe to our podcast. Thank you. That's a great segue there. Uh, We are so glad that you listened. Again, Phil Rosenthal, I'm your biggest fan. Um, Come visit us at Valencia High School. We will feed you. We have a culinary class. Um, we also have obviously a journalism class and we are here to feed the public. So nice job, Erica. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You had no choice. Your grade depended (laughs) on it. She's smiling and laughing. Uh, and thanks again for listening to Roar. Uh, hopefully we'll hear, or you'll hear from us next week on our next episode. All right. This is Schiff over and out. (laughs) 